Welcome to the Myofascial Health Podcast, hosted by me, Unu. Follow along as I explore the depths of John Barnes' myofascial release approach on my road to mastery. Along the way, I'll be sharing the lessons I learned as I opened my myofascial release practice in Austin, Texas, so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I do. Welcome back to the Myofascial Health Podcast. I am joined today by a very special guest. Now, she is not a myofascial release therapist, which I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are, but she is someone who is extremely successful in her own space. She is a trailblazer in her field. She doesn't like being living by the rules and she rocks to the beat of her own drum. And I thought she would be the perfect person to bring onto this podcast. Welcome so much to the Myofascial Podcast, Jess Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here and it's been too long that we have not connected. So yes. happy to be here. And so I had met Jess through a mastermind. Um, it was Aaron LeBowers, who is also a myofascial release therapist. Um, who has gone more into the business side of things, but I learned a bunch of really great things that I still apply today. And then more than that, I've really met some really great people just being one of those people. Now, you know, I think something in myofascial release we learn about is without awareness, there's no choice. And that means that a lot of times we do things without being conscious of what we're doing and it just turns into kind of a repetitive thing that we start to do without questioning it. And it's not until someone says, hey, you know, there's another way to do that. And then you're like, what do you mean? This is the way that I've been taught. This is the way that I see everyone around me doing that. What do you mean there's another way? And I bring that up because you are a physical therapist who now teaches new grads how to become travel physical therapist. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. And so how did you find yourself in this space and make a life of freedom of which no one else had done before? Great question. Uh, well, I, like many new grads, found myself in a outpatient ortho job, seeing 20 plus people a day, working 60 hours a week. And as most new grads are, I was excited about it. I was ready to hit the ground running. I was eager to learn about growing a practice and a business because business always interested me too. And I enjoyed my time with patient care, but as most of us do, burnout ensued shortly thereafter because I was working a lot. And my partner at the time wanted to try travel therapy when he graduated, he was a year behind me. And I was not in any way want to step out of my comfort zone. I was a homebody. I didn't like change. I was afraid of all of the unknowns that came with travel therapy. And so I, I didn't want to do it, but the pain of being in that burnout job was greater than my fear of stepping into the unknown. So we tried it and 
we weren't good at it initially as most travelers do. And, and that's where all of like the, the fears and the myths of travel therapy come in. Like you just step into it and you don't know what to expect and you don't know what questions to ask or what recruiters to work with or how to find a good job or how to avoid the black, the bad ones. And so we struggled initially and we made the mistakes and we weren't good at it, but the experience that I had along the way in that first job, although the job was not great, the people we met were great. The places we got to see were great. The paycheck was great. And the freedom to be able to take time off or kind of call the shots of when you wanted to work were definitely worth trying to pursue another assignment and see like, okay, maybe we can get it right the second time around. And the second time around, we'd learned from our first experience. And so we tried it. We we kept going. And that second assignment, we ended up staying in that place for almost 11 months. Loved it. It was great. Home health agency. I've never worked in home health before. And anyway, loved it and continued being travelers, three, four assignments in. And people started asking us, other therapists started asking us questions about travel therapy. Well, how do I do it? How do I get into it? What should I avoid? This and that. And so by year three or four, I was having conversations regularly with other therapists who wanted to become travelers. And I realized that all of the mistakes I made, all of the experiences that I had, and this wealth of knowledge that I had needed to be shared with the masses, with anyone who wanted to pursue this type of lifestyle. And so I decided I need to write a book. Like I need to write a book and share this information. And then I thought, uh, Jess, it's like, what, early 2000s, it, I need to create a blog, right? Because that's what people did then. I need to create a blog. And I am one who, I'm more of a show me how it's done so that I can just get it right the first time, save time, money, headache, tears. So I bought a course on how to create a blog, how to make a blog most effective and how to turn it into a business basically. And so I created a blog called Wanderlust PTs where I started putting out information and serving those therapists who wanted to learn more about how to be a, a travel therapist. Um, and so I did that. And that blog turned into webinars and free downloads and resources and online courses and morphed into a side gig for me, really, as I continued to be a traveler. And until most of us have it, this pivot in our life, until COVID in 2020, when I lost my travel job, and many, all, almost all physical therapists that I know lost their jobs. And at that point, um, I said to my network of wanderlust PTs or travel therapists that I had built, I said, guys, we can just sit around and twiddle our thumbs or we can take matters into our own hands and start building businesses of our own. And so I pivoted at that point to start teaching other therapists everything that I had learned about blogging, email marketing, online course creation, website creation. I also had in 2018, two years before the pandemic, decided that telehealth was going to be the next big thing. Like I just couldn't wait to learn everything there was to know about telehealth. So I took Rob Binding's telehealth uh, residency program in 2018 and I started learning about cash-based business. And so all of those things like added up together and I decided to start teaching, empowering therapists to start their own online businesses during the pandemic because the patients were still out there. It was just a matter of us 
helping them virtually. And so that that transitioned for a bit into helping PTs not just be travel therapists, because that was no longer an option in, during COVID, but really teaching therapists that they can create a lifestyle, uh, create a career around a lifestyle that they love instead of just their life around a job. And so Wanderlust PTs, yes, it started as travel therapy, but it's really morphed into this bigger mission of helping PTs banish burnout and find freedom in their career, however that is to you. And and for a lot of people, they start that journey in travel therapy. But I find that a lot of the travel therapists, once they're done traveling, want to make a bigger impact and help more people. And they're not comfortable leaving the six-figure salary to go back to a regular perm job anymore. So a lot of them transition into starting their own cash-based businesses as well. Um, So that's kind of like the journey of where I was and how I got to here. And now I'm speaking to you <laughs> a little long-winded, but I love that. No, no, that was fantastic. I would love to unpack a lot of that because you kind of have gone through a lot. You know, I think when you're first starting, let's say you're in a job that you hate and everyone's just being like, yo, this is what a life of being a PT is like. Like you have to do this. And you convince yourself like, okay, this is, this is what I have to do. Whereas when I hear your story, you're like, you were a steward of your own life. You wanted to create a life in which you could live the life that you wanted. But then after figuring that part out, you built a, a work life or a business life to support that. And I think that is not something that's taught. I'll say that that's something that is figured out and you've been able to kind of run with that. And so you know, a couple of things that you had said was like, you know, you could either wait for COVID to pan out and after the dust settles, see what's there, or you could take life by the reins and steer that horse wherever you wanted to. I think I heard a quote recently that was like, if a farmer waits for the the perfect weather to plant his crops, then he will never plant in his life or the seeds will never be able to be planted. And so that just goes to show like conditions are never going to be perfect, right? You just have to have that faith and that belief in yourself to take that next step in which you've done not one time, but many times. And so how do you go about doing that? Because the, the uncertainty, the fear around the unknown can be crippling to some people, right? They can say, hey, it's not the ideal life that I want, but I can pay the bills. I have this security and me taking this step into the unknown where I have read statistics, like 90% of businesses fail, you know, like what was able to happen for you to take those steps. And it sounds like after you've taken it one time, then you can take that step the same time, many a times. Such a good question. And I had to write down notes because so many things came to mind. Uh, so what is what is the step that allowed me to be courageous enough to take the step? And I think there's so many different pieces to it. And we as therapists struggle with imposter syndrome, like just out of school and forever. So we need to move. We all need to just move through this and have the courage to take action and lean into fear. A couple things. One, growing up, I had a family who taught me that you should start your own business. Like that was just 
taught to me as a child. You don't get rich working for somebody else. You should start your own business. And so in the back of my mind, I always knew like one day I would start my own business, but I didn't know how that would look or what it would look like. That's one piece of it. Oftentimes we don't know what opportunities are even out there until they are shown to us or told to us by somebody who has been there and done that. And the turning point for me was 2016 or 2017. I had a landlord at a travel therapy assignment say, gee, you are doing it differently. Like you, you, what you're doing reminds me of the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Have you read that book? And I said, no. And he said, you should read that book. And I picked up that book and I read that book and I took a screenshot of one of the pages because it was so profound what I read on that book. And that page, it said, people don't want to be millionaires. They want the lifestyle that the millionaires have. They want the freedom that comes with being a millionaire. They don't need a million dollars in the bank. They want the freedom associated with being a millionaire. And so then Tim Ferriss poses the question, so how does one then achieve that freedom without first having a million dollars in the bank? And my mind exploded. And I took a screenshot of that page and I said, game on, let's do this. How do we, how does one pursue that? And he goes on in the book and it's a great book. If you haven't picked it up and you are remotely interested in not trading time for money, that is, that is where it all started for me. That is that I read that before the blog started. That's what helped me start spinning the wheels and online course creation is just one opportunity there in that space. But I didn't even know that opportunity existed until I read it from Tim Ferriss or those opportunities, the things that he presents in the book. And so sometimes we need to just be shown that, hey, this is possible. And by you doing what you do and showing other people the opportunities in cash-based space or um, in myofascial or in travel therapy, like they're, they don't even know those things exist. And then once you show them and you bring awareness to it, they now a new door has opened for them. So I think that is a huge part of it. And then I wanna go back. We said something earlier that you you had said the idea is the easy part. Yes. You said the idea is the easy part. And then you said the hard part is implementing the idea. Yes. And I want to go back and challenge that. I don't think the hardest part is implementation, for me at least. Okay. The hardest part is deciding to start. Would you agree with that? What do you think? That is a big step. I would not disagree with the statement, but I do feel like everyone in their life will come up with a million dollar idea. The question then becomes, well, then how come not everyone's a millionaire? And it's for me, it's because the idea, there's no work involved with that. And so you can have this idea and I think that's done on purpose. Now, I don't know if you have a spiritual background or anything like that, but I am someone who has started to develop my own relationship with God. And I firmly believe that God will give you a vision, but he will not tell you how to get there. Because if he told you everything that went on to you actually getting this idea and manifesting it into a reality, a lot of people who saw what you would have to go through, if they saw all of that, would not do it. And so to your credit, taking that leap of faith and starting 
is a very big step, but I think an equally equally big step, if not bigger, is keeping it going. I agree. That makes sense. I think that first hump of getting over your fear is where most it stops most people. And then the keeping going part is maybe 20%. But I don't I don't know for a fact. I I could tell you how many people uh, you know, maybe decide to start an online course. And so they decide to start, but how many people actually finish it, actually yeah. do the work to produce the result. And that is, that's the implementation part. Exactly. You got it. I, I think like you have an idea, you're like, oh man, I'm going to start. And you take that big step and don't get me wrong. That is a big step that not a lot of people can take, but then you get like, two to three weeks of like, oh, I, you know, all the support, all this high energy. And then reality hits. So you're like, okay, this is life now, right? Like without anything building or boasting up your ego, you have to really decide like, what is it that you're doing this for? What is your own definition of success? Because there is so much work involved and sacrifice that's involved that if you don't have a strong why of like, oh, well, I just had this idea and I want to do it. It's like those crippling moments will break you. But if you're like, if I can help one person, you know, like if part of my journey, if me going through all this sacrifice, all this work helps this one person, it will be worth it, right? You have to really connect with your own why. And that might not be your why. Your, might, your why might be like, oh, you know, if I can make, $100,000, right? That might be a monetary why. Uh, I don't know that that's going to keep you going on forever, but hey, some people are motivated by that. And I would be incorrect in thinking like finances are irrelevant, right? Because in business, how you measure the health of any business are through financial metrics. But I will say your why and your purpose for doing it should be something deeper that resonates deep within your soul. What do you have to say with that? Yes, <laughs> it, it has to, and, and it's hard to find it. And, and we were having the conversation earlier about, I, I thought I knew what my why was and I, I verbalized it, but not until I felt it, like yeah. you said, inside of my soul that made me be emotional about it, that I could really let it fuel me. And that's when you know you're onto something. That's when you know the world can't live without this. I It needs to be me. I need to do this. Uh, or I need to help this person. Or, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. You need you need to feel it. I had talked about my why in helping helping therapists, but it's not until I had the reinforcement from people saying, because of you, I was able to create a business where I have the freedom to be with my family and only work 20 hours a week. Or because of you, I was able to be a travel therapist, see all corners of this country and pay off $130,000 in 14 months. Thank you for talking me into being a travel therapist because otherwise I was too fearful of it. Having those conversations reminds you of, oh, that's my why. That's why I do what I do for these people and serving these people. And if I don't show up for them, then they would have a different path. What's your why? Like what, what drives you? 
Great questions. For being a physical therapist, the reason I got into it, and I have, I, I can speak on this now because I have done my own healing work and it's become my purpose, but my story is I tore my ACL my senior year in high school and I was a soccer player and I was trying to play in college and that took all the wind out of my sails. And then the worst thing happened that could have happened where I went through the grueling rehab and I stayed out for a year because that's what they said. And so I did everything that I was told to do and I retore my ACL. And here's the thing, it happened four times total. And so I remember after the third time where, you know, super disheartened, recognizing, okay, this, I don't know if this is just going to be part of my identity. This is going to be something that I live with. And I remember having to speak with my parents about getting another surgery because at, and this totally makes sense, but for them, they were like, you know, what's the point of getting another surgery if none of them have, have worked, right? And I remember doing all this extra research because I recognized that, man, when you are that person and you're looking for a surgery or that help, you are powerless to the person that you speak to. Because even though I was speaking to, quote unquote, a orthopedic surgeon who worked with knees and uh, it was a minor league um, baseball team that he worked with. So all these things of like, okay, he knows what he's doing. He's working with this level of athlete. This should be fine. And for me to have that reality of this is retearing and I'm wasting years of my life trying to rehab, in addition to seeing all your friends go out and do those activities that you want to do and you don't want to feel like a burden to them and, uh, and the sadness and the isolation that comes with that, I was able to find the right surgeon. So if anyone is on their own uh, healing path and they're at that point where they're like, man, I'm, you know, I'm leaning towards getting surgery, um, of which I would say, unless it's absolutely necessary, like you've exhausted every other option, surgery is a trauma that you cannot undo. And I'll just say that medical errors are one of the top causes of death in America. So just because a person in a white coat is saying, hey, this is what you should do. These are however many patients typically get this. Do not do that unless that feels good with you. And if you are feeling pressured and rushed and, uh, oh, well, you need to get this surgery done. We have this opening right here. You got to slot in. If they're using any of those things to make you impulsive, find somebody else. And so for me, I had to do this extra research and I came across a new surgeon. I decided to find a new surgeon and do physical therapy with somebody else. And that decision changed the trajectory of my life. So I found a surgeon that did what's called the anatomical surgery method with ACL reconstructed surgeries. And for those who are unfamiliar, your ACL is one, your anterior cruciate ligament. It's one of the ligaments in your knees. And it helps with pivoting and cutting things like that. And if your surgeon is, let's say, old school, and they only believe that your ACL prevents what's called anterior translation of your tibia, meaning your shin bone moves forward, and it does not account for the internal rotation component, which you can see with every ACL tear, then your surgery 
is not likely to help you with high level activity or like athletic activity. And I had to learn this the hard way because imagine the surprise I came upon when this new surgeon said, hey, we do this thing differently. We go at a wider angle and we call it the anatomical surgery method. And in my head as a kid or as uh, someone in my early 20s, I was like, if this is anatomically correct, then what is everybody else doing? <laughs> right? And it's like, yo, I had no idea that that was it. And then I've gone to conferences where they've actually explained this. And like I said, like I've been on this journey to essentially help me heal from my own injuries. And in doing so, I think I've followed my path to help others not have to go through that mistake. And so whenever I work with a patient or a client with their injuries, I carry this personal story with me, not only to empathize with what they're doing, but because I know that whomever they go to besides me can really be a shot in the dark. I give my all and I make sure that they don't feel like they are just a number, that they don't feel listened to, heard, or seen, that I'm also asking them deeper questions that they're not asking themselves so that I can steer them in the right direction that they need to be going for their desired result. That was beautiful. And isn't it amazing how we are in the best position to help our past selves? Like your experience, my experience as a traveler, we are helping our past self. And that's what drives us is to be able to help people that are coming up from behind us. So for anybody out there listening, who is like, maybe imposter syndrome has set in, or maybe you're like, I can't, who would want to hear from me or who would want to hear my story? Think about who it is you would serve or, or you're struggling with who it is you would serve. Think of who you were in the past and how you can help that person. 100%. Right? 100%. Yes. I think that, you know, sometimes people ask like, what's the meaning of life? And not to get too esoteric with this, but I feel like the meaning of life or the reason why we're put on this earth is to go through that human experience and not only the highs, but especially the lows. And because I feel like I've not met one person who has never had any trauma or disappointments or obstacles that ha they had to go through. But if you are able to get through these things and overcome these obstacles and learn the process in which it took to get there, and you can now use this as a tool to help end somebody else's suffering, that is what I firmly believe we're all on this earth to do. And I think that resonates not only in my, my story, but in yours, where yours was like, you're in a burnt out job, where do you go? And even though you took that first year, that leap of faith, and it sucked, right? You talked about making a bunch of mistakes. And, but through that on year two, people are asking you because it's not like those mistakes will never be made. Now other people are making those mistakes or having questions about them. And because you've gone through it, you can say, oh, this is how you do it. You know, there's no more fear around the unknown. It's like, oh, you just have to plug and play this little thing or just do this little thing here or like speak to this recruiter or these many different recruiters. And so that you're not at the mercy of whomever you randomly come across, but it's now it's like, 
oh, I now know what it is that I want. And now I have a plan or steps to take for that next step. It might not be the whole plan, but it's that next step. And that's oftentimes all you need to do to take that first step and get started. Amazing. So true. So uh, a book that you brought up was The 4-Hour Workweek. And you talk about this book being very pivotal in your life story. You know, and I think I think books are very important. And I will say that it's not about how many books you can read. I think a lot of times, especially for me, when I had insecurity around the unknown of like, to be honest, you just want to feel like you're making the right choice, right? And so I was reading a bunch of different books, but I wasn't really learning the lessons. And I'll say that I'm at a chapter in my life now where it's instead of reading a hundred books, if I could read the same book that was super impactful 10 times, then it will be way more worth it than reading all those hundred books. But the four hour work week is a really cool book because again, without awareness, there's no choice. And it's not until you were exposed to these ideas of like, oh, it's not about having a million books. It's about having the freedom. And if it's about the freedom, how can we start building that into our lives? And I'll say that that book resonated a little bit differently with me because a lot of times, especially from our parents' generations where they got a job when they stuck with it for 20 to 30 years, and they say for us, it's like, hey, you got to find a job. You know, it's going to suck, but you got to stick it out because you'll get all these benefits and, you know, you got to get paid. And then at the end of life, you'll have this 401k in which then you can have this freedom, right? And in that book, I love how he puts it. He says, the 401k is like kind of a scam because one, when people work their whole lives, when they actually get to that end of their life where they can retire, yeah, you might go on the beach and sip pina coladas for like a couple of weeks. But more than anything, you start doing something else because you, you don't just like chill out and do nothing. So that's one thing. Two, there's no guarantee that you actually live to that point. So if you're saving or you're making these sacrifices for a point that may not get there because, hey, you could, you could die tomorrow, then why would you wait until the end of life to retire and quote unquote enjoy your life? So something that he says in the book is, you need to build a life where you can take many retirements throughout it so that you can enjoy those freedoms while you're living through life, as opposed to waiting for an end that may or may not have. And so I had never thought about it in this perspective. And I was like, that's so true. But because, you know, my parents or people of our parents' generation will just say, this is what you do, because that's all that they were taught. You don't think that there's any other uh, any other path. And so, like we said, and we'll reiterate again, without awareness, there's no choice. But is that something that you've been able to build into your life? Yes, absolutely. And it started with reading that book. And also, I think the reason that the landlord presented that book was because we take the time off to go on the eight week road trips and took the time to go to Italy and spend you know, four weeks at a time there. And so he's like, wow, you guys are like taking the mini retirements. Have you heard of the four hour work week? And so that's kind of what, because we were already kind of living it, that's what sparked the conversation. 
And since then, I have seen the mini retirements and I value it and I stress the importance of it. In addition to being able to build a business where I can, he talks a lot about automation and using technology and outsourcing and creating offers that pay you uh, when you're like passive offers. I know some people don't like the term passive, but really as passive as they can get, whether it's working with affiliates or creating online courses or providing information, a culmination of all of those things has given me the opportunity to create a business that provides me the freedom of not just time, but also location freedom as well. And I wish that for everybody, if that is what, if that's important to you and you also want to pursue something like that, it is absolutely possible. It's just a matter of how to go about doing it, the implementation part and the levers that you need to pull. Um, but I've been very fortunate in being able to create that type of lifestyle for myself. That's beautiful. And I'm trying to get to that place for myself. Now, a question that came up for me is, you know, I think when you have an idea, you have multiple ideas. And so you've been able to write out maybe your biggest ones. How do you know when to stay on course or when to pivot? Oh, this is such a good question because I struggle with it. And I think any budding entrepreneur does, any serial entrepreneur does. And here's the thing that you're going to fail. You're going to have ideas that you are so excited about and you can't wait to launch and you can't wait to pursue. And for 10 great ideas that I put into motion, one of them might be a home run. But you can't let the nine that fail keep you from continuing to move forward. So that's one piece of it. But focus and what I would call shiny object syndrome is definitely a struggle of mine. And while I was talking to somebody about this and I was like, yeah, shiny object syndrome. And they were like, I don't, let's reframe that. Like, let's, let's give that a different name around like just the new exciting thing right now that may or may not be where you need to focus. But if it feels right for you in that moment, go for it. But I guess the question is, and I'm all over the place here. How do you know what to focus on? How do you know what to focus on? Especially when you have a business and the first thing that I ask my clients is like, well, what's been working? especially when it comes to financial. Because a lot of people, when they're starting to get their business off of the ground, the first focus is generating money. The second, later down the road, it's, well, how do I get my time back? And that's a different conversation. So if your focus is generating money, then, well, what's worked so far? Or where are people willing to pay you? What is your offer? How do we make your offer better? So that's the first part, one way to look at it. I also have this incredible Excel sheet because I love Excel sheets and I also have trouble focusing. And I have, I write down all of my projects. So all of the great ideas that we have on a spreadsheet. I then have two columns. One of them is around opportunity or like the amount of money it can generate. So I talk about, um, is it money now? Is it money later or is it no money? 
that for that specific task. So you rate it like one, two, three in one column. The second column is important and urgent, number one. Important and not urgent, number two. Not important and urgent, number three. Not important, not urgent, number four. You then can sort that Excel sheet based on those ratings and your ideas. Boom, where should you concentrate? You now have your important, urgent, and money-making thing at the top of the Excel sheet, and that's what you should focus on <laughs> right now today. <laughs> I love that. I think because a lot of times I have a big convoluted to-do list, and it's like, how do I knock these out and the ordering is a step that can be very valuable, right? By saying, hey, these are the, the most urgent that will make you the most money and will move boulders for you. Versus like, if you're just trying to push sand around, yeah, your Instagram post might look a little bit nicer, but is that really going to move the needle or get you forward to a place where you really want to be? And I, I can definitely see the value in you organizing your little spreadsheet there. Now, uh, something that you said that I think is so true is that failure is part of the process. And, but the way that you said it, your tone of voice was actually energetic. Like, yeah, you're going to fail. You're going to do this. And, you know, out of 10 things that I try, one of them might work. And so focus on the one and, you know, try not to get bogged down with the nine. Now that you've made it, right, you can say, man, this <laughs> one idea was worth it. But for those of us who are starting and you're like, I have this idea and you're in the trenches and you don't know, like this one's rough. It doesn't seem like this is the idea. How do you find the motivation to keep going? There is opportunity to learn in absolutely everything that you do, right? So even if this doesn't, this thing doesn't take off, you have learned so much about how to do it differently next time. Like Edison and the light bulb or, you know, Michael Jordan and his story of, you know, being successful. It, it just, you have to take shots in order to find what works. And I, I'm not sure how I'm so okay with failure, I guess, but I think that because it, I know that it's still progress moving forward, even, even failure. And I think that's maybe just a way to reframe it is like, failure is good. Like, cool. I won't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> so one, I love that. And, uh, it seems like you were raised in an environment where, you know, that was encouraged the way that you speak about failure is just, it's a learning process, right? Like, you're going to learn what works, what doesn't. If it doesn't work, adjust for it the next time, right? And I think Kobe Bryant, uh, the late and great Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, had said something along the same lines of like, failure doesn't exist. You know, if you failed on Monday, you still have Tuesday. You fail on Tuesday, you still have Wednesday. And so not letting those quote unquote failures stop you, but to just use them as learning opportunities. Um, I think for me, I don't know if it's because I grew up in an Asian household, but like anything below a 90 was considered failing. And like there were repercussions with that. So the way that I process failure is very different. And now that I've started business, I've had to reframe that and just recognizing, yeah, it's just a learning process. Like you're going to learn what works, what doesn't. 
And through that process, don't put your self-worth in someone saying yes or no or working with you, but just being like, hey, this person wasn't meant to work with me. The person who is meant to work with me will find me. And then when that happens, one, make sure you deliver a great service or a product. But two, you recognize, hey, this is all part of the journey. You know, like there's not going to be one successful person that you ever meet who has never had to experience any sort of failure. So I will say that I love the way that you phrase it and the way that you speak about it is very positive. Whereas for a lot of us who value school, especially, it's like, dude, if you fail, it's over. You know, you're going to get held back in the grade or you can't move on. You can't graduate. It's like in business, that's so far from the truth. Right. And then um, another thing I wanted to add in terms of the shiny object syndrome, because I'm guilty of this, of like, oh, this is a good idea. And like you'll you'll feel it. And you can see it and it might just be for a moment. And so I've had to come up with a different strategy. You know, I, I loved your four columns organizing it. But for me, I have, let's say I have four projects that I'm working on simultaneously. And I think, oh, this is a good idea, you know, and it might be, but I know that my, my time is limited. My energy is limited. And if I start adding new projects, plural, then that will burn me out. And I, that's happened from personal experience where I've taken on too many things and nothing got accomplished. And so I burnt myself out. And even though I left the job that I was burnt out from, I put myself in the same situation. So just be mindful of those things. If you are going to start your own business or do your own thing, because you will put the pressure on yourself instead of your boss doing so. So it's recognizing what it is that you want and what reasons you want that for and attaching your why to that can help you. But essentially, you have to be smarter about what you're doing. And the system that I've come up with is if anytime I want to add something new, then I have to take something away. Ooh. And so one, that will give me the energy to do that. But two, it will make me focus on the one task that I can take away and get that done so that I have completed tasks versus like 10 unfinished tasks. And then I'm just burnt out. Very true. Yeah, I like that idea. I'm going to think about that next time I add something to my Asana board, my project management tool. Like, okay, now wait, we're, we're going to move something just... I'm going to add something. I'm going to move it. Yeah. So that's the way that I would do it. You're a step ahead. So Jess is a step, many steps ahead, if you ask me. <laughs> but she has already done that hiring process. So in addition to having an online course, she has hired people so that those tasks that she doesn't even like doing or that is taking time from her, you know, her more most important tasks, now she can delegate. Now, for me... I have been, I'm the youngest of four brothers. And so I, this leadership doesn't come naturally to me, but I know that like, if I am to grow my business, then it has to be more than myself. And I'm kind of in this inflection point where I can say, okay, I could hire another therapist or a front office ad administrator, or I can see where this uh, online course stuff pans out because I would just have to utilize software and just kind of like what you had said in the four hour work week, you talked about like automations and quote unquote, passive income streams. So how do you go about making that decision? When to hire? No, no. So, Sorry. so yeah, 
So not when to hire, but who to hire and if that is the right step for you. Ooh. How about that? Okay. I want to go back to the failure thing for just a moment. Yeah, of Because course. I realized that I wasn't 100% authentic with my story around failure. And you know a little bit more of my story, but I was in retrospect, like I was a lot more enthusiastic about failure now than I am in the past. And that's because I learned a lesson around failure. Yes. And the lesson around failure that I had to learn was not to let it slow you down or worse, not to let it keep you from pursuing redemption in your failure. So failure was not always easy for me. And, and this wasn't even a business related. This is life related. Right. And, but we said before we popped on here, like business translates into life and how, what did you say? How you handle business translate? Like how you do anything is how you do everything. I love that. Yeah. So how you do everything, how do you do anything is how you do everything. Exactly. And so I want to come back to that and just reiterate, like I wasn't always enthusiastic about failing. I also struggled in that space. And then I had to learn, don't let your failures slow you down. Acknowledge them, learn from them, move on, and don't let them keep you from continuing to pursue what it is you're searching for. One. With that said, I did not get my hiring right the first 10 times. So it was, it's a learning experience. And you, you had said, well, I'm the leadership thing is a struggle too. I literally had a conversation with my virtual assistant yesterday and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm to be honest, like I, we're just, we're just figuring it out. We're flying, we're building the airplane as we fly it. It's helpful to have coaches who have been there and done that, who can guide you in that space. But when it comes down to it, like how you said, how do I, who to hire? And if that's the next right step for you, who to hire, what I would do, if you're interested in learning, when is it time to outsource? How do I know what to outsource and who to outsource it to? Everything that you do in your business, right? Make, start making a list of all the things you do in your business, even in your life. Like let's talk life too. In your house, in your life, taking the dry cleaning, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, cleaning the house. And if there is a moment where you can now outsource it to somebody else so that you can do higher level tasks and you can produce on those higher level tasks, it's time. So if I know that instead of taking the time to do my landscaping or the two and a half hours that it took me to mow my lawn with a tiny push mower and sweat. And I mean, I, I semi enjoyed it, but it was a lot of time. I can pay somebody $30 to come and do my whole yard. That saves me two and a half hours in which time I can go then do things that are going to be more efficient and effective in my business. That's when it's time to outsource. Um, and that's just about lawn mowing, but the same is true. So if you make a list and for me, you know, the list might look like answering DMs, responding to new followers or messaging new followers, email, going through my email and filing or replying, um, creating social media, responding to comments. I make a list of all of the things that I do 
And if I can teach somebody else to do it so that I can go do the other task, it's time, the higher level tasks, it's time to outsource it if I can teach somebody else to do it. Uh, so I think that's my answer. That's a great answer. I think you talk about it in terms of uh, evaluating your time's worth, right? Like if it takes me, let's say three hours to mow my lawn and my time is worth in the thousands in creating whatever it be webinars or planning these other things and pushing around a lawnmower isn't going to get me anywhere and I can hire someone to do that same task for 30 bucks, then I would spend that all day, right? Uh, and so I 100% agree with that. Um, I think you should just start by, if you enjoy those aspects of your business, then keep doing it, you know? That's but so if, true. But if That's you true. get to a point where it's like, okay, I no longer enjoy this, then hiring someone to do it would be the best thing. And I'll say, for myself, I think because I have fear around it, I haven't taken that leap. But it sounds like just like anything else in business, there's going to be failures along the way that I am a little bit cautious about because I think when I think about my failures, especially in the business space, it's like, okay, if this doesn't work out, then that's fine because it only affects me. Whereas when I think about hiring, it's like, now I feel like I'm responsible for this other person. And if it's the wrong hire or we're not a good fit and I learned that way later, then I know that I will have to fire. And, you know, like, not only am I thinking about the hiring, now it's like the company culture that I want to provide. In addition to that, recognizing if we're not a good fit to work together, then firing and then the repercussions that go along with that Am I just overthinking my situation and just being like, yeah, just do it. And then you're going to learn from it. And that's part of it. I think all of your concerns are very legitimate. And it, you saying that reminded me of the weight that I felt when I did hire initially, the weight of, I am now responsible to pay this person and to make sure that they get I have enough work for them. They get the hours that they need and that I can afford to pay them. So that very much is true initially. How do you navigate that? Think entrepreneurs think not, can I, they think, how can I, right? Mm -hmm. So how can I afford this person? What do they need to do in order to pay for themselves or in order to have that return on investment. So if you have somebody answering phones for you and being able to book TBDs for you or free assessments or getting them in for evaluations, and those are tasks that you don't have, you haven't had time to do anyway. If that person books, how many do they need to book in order to be a return on investment, even just to break even so that your time is freed up? Like that's worth it, even if they just break even. So with that said, what kind of things aren't you getting to because of you don't have the time to do the task anyway? And in not doing that task, what are you losing out on? So for example, for me, I wasn't DMing my new followers and getting them on my email list or sharing my services with them. And because of that, I was losing out on that opportunity. And I know that my assistant doing that task, just doing that one thing easily is a return on investment for me to be able to do that. So that's how I 
address the first concern of how can I be sure I'm going to be able to afford them. The other thing I wanted to say is hiring. How do you know if you're hiring the right person? It is it is hard, but there are some things that you can put into place in order to make sure that they're a good fit. And Aaron has taught me the hiring automation. And basically what that is, is a form that they fill out and you can tell what kind of person and how detail oriented they are based on how they fill the form out. And just that alone will help screen out some candidates that might not be a good fit based on their level of detail or um, understanding of the project or what you're asking them to do. So I would say that's another tip or tool or tactic that you can put into place that's going to save you the headache of in interviewing 10 people that might not be a good fit and instead run them through that automation, have it funnel out the people that didn't get it right the first time on the on the form and on the request of what you're asking them to do. And now you're down to two candidates that got your task right. And when you said, hey, do this thing and do it like this on the application. So you're sending them through an application process that also then does like a, a test of, hey, also had also do step one, two, and three. And only the people who get it right and do step one, two, and three will proceed into the hiring process. So that's gonna funnel out a lot of people and help you to hire the right people, at least in that area initially. Got it. So one, I think that's smart, but two, I, I'm not filled with like a, yeah, let me go do that. Okay, so what about the other option? So let's say I, the, I don't feel in resonance with hiring someone right now. And obviously that can change at any time. But what about if I thought, okay, well, what about online course, online course creation? You know, is that is there a hiring process there, or do I just have to learn the software? How would you go in that direction? So you want to create an online course, and you're not sure if it's something that you should outsource them, say building the funnels for you and things like that, or no? So okay, when I think about expanding my physical therapy practice. It's like I have to bring on admins and physical therapists to run that. Whereas if I do an online course, I'm just like, okay, I don't have to worry about the people. Now I just have to have the software in place. And if I can learn how to, whether it be build funnels or email lists or those parts of the online space, what's the direction I would need to go to get that set up? If you... I think energetically for me, my experience was I was, I felt busting, like I was busting at the seams, like I needed help. And I brought on two people in the course of a month, which was probably far more than I needed, but it was 60 additional hours. So imagine having me doing me for 60 additional hours a week. Um, and, and so I felt the need to say like all of these things weren't getting done in my online business, because that's what online course is. It's like an online business. So I need to bring on virtual staff. And that's because I wanted to grow. With that said, I have had a business for seven years all by myself, online business. And I've done multi six figures by myself in online course sales and such. So you, there is an opportunity for you to be a solo online business therapist crushing it in a six-figure space and 
not needing to hire as long as you're comfortable learning and doing all of the tech pieces of it, which is a little bit fun for me at times. So reach out if you have questions. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to steer this, the end of this in that direction. Now, you had talked about a webinar and is that for your online course? Ah, thank you, yes. I am running a webinar for therapists who are considering travel therapy, who want to learn more about it, who want to be sure to avoid the mistakes. And uh, yes, and, and basically the webinar teaches therapists how to, um, that travel therapy is an option, that there are mistakes and pitfalls that you need to navigate. And if you want to learn more and if you want step-by-step -step guidance, here's the next step. And the next step is my online course around travel therapy. So yes, that and how that the people, answer. Yeah. yeah, well, this is this is an opportunity for you to speak about what did, how do people find you and what is it that you do and who is it that you help? Awesome, thank you. Um, yeah, so if you're looking to learn more, check out wanderlust pts w-a-n-d-e-r-l-u-s-t-p-t-s.com uh you can find me on instagram wanderlust pts and if you are interested in learning more about the travel therapy webinar you can find that on the on the website if you're interested in learning more about the online course and you're like, I know I want to be a travel therapist. I know that I like, this is the path for me and I want help navigating all of the pitfalls that are travel therapy, then do check out the travelptbootcamp.com. I think that's it. Or it's travelptbootcamp.com. Anyway, you'll find it on the website. On my website, I have a courses option and you can drop down on the courses. You'll see uh, the course about travel therapy. You'll also find the course about creating an online course for a therapist. So how to create an online course for therapists. If online course creation is something that interests you and you are um, looking to help more people and more therapists uh, or more patients, that's an option for you, as well as the digital course, uh, digital PT Academy, where I teach you how to create a uh, online business through blogging, online course creation, all things, webinars, um, email marketing. And that's the course that I was talking about that I launched in during COVID. Um, so those are three options. If you're looking to learn more there, I also have some free downloads on the website as well to help you get started in your journey of career freedom as a therapist. So thank you so much for having me. And this has been so great. You're very welcome. I just want to reiterate the message. I think the theme of today's podcast is Without awareness, there is no choice. And you have just laid out a bunch of different choices that I know that when I first graduated from PT school and was a new grad, I just didn't know these opportunities existed. And now that I've found these spaces, I can see that, hey, your life is exactly what you want it to be, but do you have the courage to step and work for it? So thanks again for hopping on this podcast and I'm sure that I will cross paths with you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Myofascial Health. I help myofascial release therapists create beautiful websites for their MFR practices, even if they aren't tech savvy. If you're just starting your MFR practice, 
or you're an experienced MFR practice owner, learn more about how I can help at www.myofascial.health website. Thank you.